You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Now Jones escapes pressure, fires downfield, and it's caught! Darius Slayton! Man, this kid is awesome. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hello, Grump. Merry Christmas again, and greetings from my vacation, where tonight we are in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, in the middle of nowhere. So uh, wanted to check in from vacation to talk a little Giants with you. Um, a little note to all, because of vacation, I listened to the majority of the game on the radio. I didn't get a chance to watch it, so I'm going to be kind of an outsider asking more questions of the grump than giving my usual expert analysis of the game. But uh, I have plenty to say and plenty of questions going forward. Well, you were, you were spared um, a lump of coal under the tree for this, this which is what this game really was. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. An incredibly difficult first half to watch, followed by a surprising twist uh, in the second half, not that it made it much closer, but just just felt like two totally different games. Um, but the Giants fell to Baltimore twenty-seven to thirteen. It didn't feel that particularly close, um, you know, two-score game as it may have been. Um, this game was about as disastrous of a first half as you could possibly get while being only down three scores. I mean, the Giants had three offensive plays um, only three possessions the whole first half. Yeah, but I think like, like, they had, I think before that final drive, they only had eight plays with like four minutes left in the half. Yeah, that's, that's insanity. They had officially. Four plays, five if you count the punt in the first quarter on offense. Um, they went three and out. And um, the three and out was mostly due to false starts, which is not really – you know, for, for, we're going to get into like the details of things that we normally see this year and things that we haven't seen this year that happened in this game because this one was a little all over the place. But false starts and offensive line penalties in general this year – as compared to the last, I would say, I mean, this is going to sound like a joke, but when was Eric Flowers drafted? Um, since, since Coughlin, really. Yeah, the, it's been, they've been way down, and all kinds of errors, blocking the back, holding, you know, false starts. Um, that stuff's been way, way down in comparison. This has been a very disciplined team in general, but even more so surprising to me because of all the fluid pieces and the subbing in and out on different drives. It's kind of like line shifts in hockey, the way we're doing things. Um, but, you know, with all of that and, and two rookie tackles and then a rookie left guard coming in and a first-year center, that was the most surprising to me in that the discipline level, even on the offensive line, has been really, really good. Um, so that first drive stalled because of two consecutive Two consecutive false start penalties brought a third and seven to a fourth and or third and seventeen. Um, this team's also running out of gas. I mean, let's be honest. You know, when was 
they haven't had a bye in quite a while. You have, you're playing a bunch of rookies and first-year starters. So even a guy like Andrew Thomas, where if you play last year, maybe you played 12 games, 13 games with Georgia. Now he's up to week 15. You know, there's always a little bit of a rookie wall with these guys. You know, they, they're still playing to win the division. But, you know, thanks to the good fortune of how inept this division really is, you know, it was more of a long shot, and it's a mental toll. So I can sort of understand how the play is getting a little sloppy, and, and they're kind of running out of gas. So it's not it's, – it's disappointing, but not unsurprising that that would happen. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, yeah. I, I, for me, the surprising part is that all year it hasn't been a problem. You know, I just – I would have expected it to be terrible. Um, it's been good coaching. I mean, it's a, it's overall level of the coaching staff that's been better attention to detail, and uh, which is which is actually amazing to your point also that with no off season, a lot of the teaching hasn't been happening in, in real time. It's been it's been zoomed in and it's just kind of on the fly. So give credit, you know, to to the coaching staff and to the players too. Yeah, um, and you know, one of the big things this year was going to be. Um, Daniel Jones and how much he progresses in his second year and in new offense and, and in all this stuff. And he's been up and down this year. You know, he started off pretty okay. He hit a dry spell. And then, you know, a lot of people are deciding to look at numbers and numbers only. And so he's only thrown this many touchdowns this year. Um, that's really pathetic. He hasn't really been throwing that many passes because we're not calling them. Uh, he's been doing a lot of running. We've been, we as a team have been doing a lot of running. This was a complete flip of the script. I, you know, I, it's hard for me to give out stars to this game, but I, I feel, I feel like Daniel Jones earned a star in this game because, first of all, he dropped back 41 times in this game, which is pretty incredible. He was getting beat to death, and well, it, it's not, it's not even, second. Well, okay. Let's back up a second. I, I wasn't on the show on Monday, but, mm-hmm. you know, I would have said, I highly doubt he's even playing, and I wasn't even sure I wanted him to play at this point in the season because if he's not healthy, and I mean healthy, not 100% healthy, but healthy enough to be relevant and to be effective, I don't want him playing. So I didn't even think he was even playing until like Thursday or Friday and just assumed he wasn't. So for him to come back and even to play in this game and to be effective is, you know, that's a step forward. Yeah, and, and he was more than effective. I mean, he hung in the pocket you know, this is this is a team in the NFL that blitzes the most. Wink Martindale runs a very blitz-heavy scheme, um, and they they came. You know, and you know one of the things that I said on on the on the solo show for the preview on Thursday or whenever day that was um, was that I hope we throw against this because blitzing. You know, as long as you can understand where the blitz is coming from, you can throw against it. You find that weak spot. You find the hot read. You know. You roll away from the pressure, whatever. It, it exposes teams. And, you know, I went over how the Ravens were injured in the back seven and, and all this stuff, whatever. And that's 100% what we did. I didn't think we were going to do it. 41 throws is – I didn't look it up, but it might be the most that he's thrown in a single game all year. And he was getting buried on some places, got right back up. He would hang in the pocket, get hit, and still deliver a good throw. Um, you know – I'm giving him a star. 24 or 41 for 250 yards and a touchdown is not super inspiring. Um, but that's a good stat line for for Daniel Jones this year and in this offense. Um, and quite frankly, 
for really getting next to no help from his skill position players. I mean, these. This has been one of my gripes about you know basically everybody on on this offense. You know, granted, players are playing that probably shouldn't be due to injuries and other things, but a lot of these guys just they don't make the extra not extra effort, but the extra results. Like you don't see these guys ever making something out of nothing making this spectacular catch if it's not a perfect throw, not making a guy miss and getting an extra 20 yards, not doing a lot of things. Uh, and again, I majority of my watching of this game was on the radio. Uh, incomplete pass, ball was thrown to... Uh, well, help me out. Receiver. Receiver. Slayton. Yes. Got that for a second, but... Um, Darius Slayton, a ball that was thrown now again from according to Papa and Carl Banks. Should have been a basket style catch, a difficult catch, but a catch that needs to be made to, you know, make something happen. And we're just not getting any plays happen this year from these guys that are, you know, whether it's Ingram, whether it's Slayton, you know, the inconsistency is a problem, but just also that creating something out of nothing. So those yards that he's getting and those numbers are almost all him. And that's that's a problem. That's one of the main things that has to be addressed this offseason is getting some skill position players that are going to create. We have a quarterback that we think you know, we time will tell, but, you know, can deliver the ball where it needs to be. But we also need guys to extend plays, and make things happen where it's just a normal play. And part of that may also be from play calling as well. But right now we don't have that. It's just. It's a grind this offense. It's, well, I think it's both. It's I, I think I think you're I think you're bringing up something where it's both. You know, all year we've seen this problem, and um, you know, I don't need to repeat ad nauseum. But you know, when you have guys playing uh, sticks routes where they just run up, turn around, and wait for the there's not much room for them to make something out of that. That's that's true. It's also true that. You know, Golden Tate is not a guy who gets a lot of separation. I think Darius Slayton is, and I gave Darius Slayton a fart for this game, by the way. Two of eight for 26 yards, that's a game to forget. Um, I think he normally is a guy that can get separation. I honestly think he's been playing hurt for weeks now. He hurt his ankle earlier in the season catching a touchdown pass. And I don't think, I'd have to look back at the stat lines and maybe rewatch a little bit of stuff, but I don't think he's really played well since that game and that was like the first quarter of that game because all of the he he normally is the guy who gets some decent vertical separation and he got none in this game and the, I know exactly the play you're talking about with with um, Banks and Papa describing as a basketball or um, you're like an over the shoulder basket catch, a William, right? like a Willie Mays catch yeah yeah, yeah yeah exactly I know exactly which play it was it was deep downfield a catch he could have made but I think if he's fully healthy he he's not even like being covered at that like because that was like 30 yards downfield and a catch he could have should have made I just think normally Slayton is the guy who's got so much separation that he's not he doesn't even have a guy on him at that point he can contort his body do whatever but, but he's been incons- he's been inconsistent also this year I and mean, there's two problems yeah correct there's the, there's, there's the inconsistency problem and there's the also the he's not the, that great the little something yeah right we have nobody that's not that great and that's a problem that's you know the the great Offenses. If you watch around the league, you know you have, 
you know, guys like Aaron Rodgers who make something out of nothing. You know, the, re- the quarterbacks, the receivers make something out of nothing. The running backs make something out of nothing. And I understand that with the running backs, what we're dealing with now. Um, you know, but but it's got to be more than just get... Barkley, you know. Exactly. Um, no, I agree with you. And I, I think most Giants fans uh, would, would say that getting a wide receiver that is head and shoulders above the others on the team is important. And, and also not that, you know, especially this year. This is a good year if you want to a positive spin on, on the needs. This is a good year to need a wide receiver. I mean, there, there's, a, there's quite a few coming out in the draft that are very, or at least so far, look very, very excellent. Well, I was going to ask you the question about that, about wide receivers. So let's say, you know, we got Golden Tate two years ago in part because we had not given up on the, well, Eli, we can make one more run with the Eli thing. Are we right now in the rebuild at a point where you get a Golden Tate? Forget the exact – forget that it's Golden Tate, the Golden Tate type of signing right now. Or do we – you know, we still going to be in the – you get the wide receiver through the draft and build that way for that type of player? You, well, we're entering the end of the season now. So whether the Giants make the playoffs or not, we're going to enter into the offseason mode of this podcast. So for those of you who are new listeners – this is yeah. a, a thing that I do a lot of heavy lifting work um, doing doing research and stuff. And one phrase that you're going to hear us say a lot, and it's something that we agree on very heavily, is that you don't draft positions. You draft players. You never, ever, ever scheme to draft a position. We need a defensive tackle this year, so let's go get a defensive tackle. We'll get the best one we can. That's not how it works. Some years... It's loaded with defensive tackles. Other years, it's not at all. And you get the best one, you're wasting a draft pick on a guy who's probably third-round talent. And he's probably going to go in the first round whether you pick him or not. But that's that's another team's mistake to make, not yours. Especially when you're a bad team. So this year, based on the little amount of work I've done on it so far, I would rather draft a wide receiver. There is a ton of of promising wide receiver talent coming out in the draft this year. A lot. Um, you know, we saw Smith at Alabama is just insanity. Um, yeah, I know. Jamar Chase at LSU is another one who yeah, did not play this year, I don't think, right? He was <laughs> he at did LSU. not play this year. Yeah. He was on, he's, yeah. He's insane. Um, there's a the, the dude from Minnesota also. Outstanding. Um there's a lot of really good wide receivers that do a lot of things that we don't have, and that's you know height and speed and catch rates and, and polished route running, especially for college kids. You know, there was a time I would say a little over ten years ago, I would say most wide receivers that come out in the draft are not polished route runners yet. They're probably not going to contribute much in their first season. The college game has changed. The high school game has changed. These kids coming out. The first-rounders, they can all play right away. It wasn't like that not that long ago. I mean, you know, even if you think back to Hakeem Nix being signed by, uh, drafted by this team, he was in a very, very limited role in his first year. You know, Beckham was in a limited role, but that's only because he was hurt. And that's, that's the difference right there, that gap right there between Nix and Beckham, you know, that, you know, Beckham would have played week one if he, if he really weren't hurt. Week one, week two. Knicks didn't really see much of the field. He scored a fuck ton of touchdowns as a rookie, but he wasn't even really throwing the ball that much. He just made a right. lot out of nothing. They had him run very basic patterns and go. Yeah, and I also understand that he played at North Carolina and Beckham played at LSU, and 
you know, maybe one school pays more attention to basketball than the other or something. I, I don't know. Whatever. You make whatever <laughs> whatever conference argument you guys want to make, you can. I'm just going to say that this year I would say I would prefer the Giants to be taking a very hard look at draftable wide receivers more so than shelling out big bucks for a free agent wide receiver. Even if it's not big bucks, but I'm just saying that money that we're not going to have much. They just shelled out a big contract to Logan Ryan, which we, we have to talk about because I didn't talk. I yeah. don't think I was able to talk. I think that happened on Friday or Saturday. Um, I think it happened Friday. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they just shelled out some money there. They have, the cap is likely to go down due to lost revenue this year because of the pandemic. They're going to have some decisions to make. If they have any money to spend on outside talent, it's not going to be a lot. So, they have to be very, very careful about who they want to spend that money on. And that was my question. It, was, it wasn't so much like on the specific of the YRZ or position. It's like, do, are we spending money on the free agent market for guys? Are we far enough along to be spending money for a guy like a, a Golden Tape type guy or a you know a, a, a really good tight end or something? Or are we still? It, it serves us better to spread our free agent money around for multiple guys and really build those guys up through the draft because we're if, not there if they're yet. they're going to spend – I don't think they're going to spend big at any position, but if they're going to spend medium, you know, I think the right thing is a guy on probably the last four years of his career at corner. And the reason I say that is because corner number two is obviously a big problem right now. Isaac Yadam, you know, maybe he, he's – in my opinion, at best is like a rotational guy. He comes in – you know, maybe in a dime package, and then otherwise he's he's the first guy off the bench for when a corner gets shaken up or gets COVID or something. You know, right? Um, right. You know, and then you know Sam Beal. You know, I I watched his tape in draft pride, so I I was high on him. We haven't even really seen the tip of the iceberg with that guy. He's he's a big question mark. He could be something. He could not be. But either way, I don't want him. If they bring it. I don't. He's still like, very young too, so we yeah. have we have time with him. I don't like drafting corners and expecting them to play. Corner to me is much harder to play, and, and so many high round corners fail. You know, and you know maybe like with the wide receiver position, that's going to change at the college game in a couple of years. But as far as I'm seeing it, I'm still seeing it. You know, these these big time corners they get drafted real high and they just don't pan out. And then we see guys like James Bradbury, I think was a second round pick. You know, and then we see other guys that are. You know, late round picks. You know, it's still a bit of an anomaly figuring out how how corners are good and they're not. Sometimes they're not good in their first year, and then all of a sudden they explode in their second, third year. I would rather spend the money on a, a veteran corner to play opposite James Bradbury, while we have the young guys either in rotational fashion or waiting in the wings with Beal and Yadam and whatever. If they're gonna spend on outside talent, that's where I'd like them to spend it because it probably won't cost as much as like an edge rusher or whatever. Gotcha. Um, in any event, I agree with you. I think I think that the this talent the the this is a capable NFL roster right now, but it's not a good one. You know, it, this is one that can go out on the field and not embarrass itself. It can it can upset a Seattle. It can it can go and compete with the likes of the LA Rams. You know, it, it play some really good football. You know, win some, lose some in some instances. But it's not. There's nobody on this team, especially with Barkley out, that is going to catch a slant pass and outrun seven guys to the end zone. There's no one on the roster like that. That's just a fact. And that's just where we are right now. There is an NFL roster, but there is not a... There's not a star power guy where you have defensive coordinators or 
it's not a, it's not a, coordinators up all it, night. It's not, a, it's not a playoff roster. And don't be fooled. Again, on Sunday, we are playing to win the division, to go to the playoffs. That does not mean that this team is a playoff roster and a playoff team. I mean, the, the two worst things that have happened, if you're a giant fan, giant, you know, to warp your perception of this team is the A, Philly and Dallas both massively underachieved this year to making the whole division suck. So we get to week 17 and where three of the four teams are fighting to win the division and B to be very honest, beating Seattle, I think is really warped people's perception of, you know, what is this roster right now? And what should the expectations reasonably be? You know, because the division stinks right now, you know, the, the perception is we can win this thing makes you think we are better than we are. And beating a team like Seattle in a real an anomaly game makes you think, well, we did that. Well, we'll just dial it up again. The same thing against Baltimore. You know, the last four weeks have not we have not plateaued. We're not regressing as a team. We're just playing playoff teams. And you're seeing when you play playoff rosters and playoff quarterbacks and playoff coaches, when you don't have that talent and that roster, you're going to look worse than you did five weeks ago when you were beating shitty teams. You know, so it's just – but the, the key is what, I'm, what I'm, my point is that our fan base and the vocal ones on Twitter got way ahead of their skis four weeks ago and now have crashed back to earth a lot harder than they should have because of just these little anomaly things that have happened. And, you know, it's all going back to, again, the – is Joe Judge really a good coach? Is – you know, again, back to fire Gettleman. We needed a quarterback. Why can't we cut, uh, you know, Danny Dimes like they cut Haskins? All this nonsense because everybody's just out of touch with reality because the last thing they saw made them overhyped. It's all crazy. So just to clarify, you're saying that the worst <laughs> things that could have happened to the fan base the fan they base. won these things because of expectations. What he's not saying is – the worst thing they could have done was won these games to ruin their draft position. If you guys are thinking about draft position, you're miserable people, and you should take up a hobby that involves less people. Let me ask you, let me tell everybody something right now. After next Sunday, there's a scenario where we can win the NFC East. There's a scenario we can have the third pick in the draft. If any of you would rather have the third pick in the draft than win the division... Hit the unsubscribe button right now. Don't ever listen to the show again. I mean, they, because, they don't hang banners in the stadium for attaining the third overall pick. Just saying, you celebrate one thing, not the other. Right. We, they are. I can guarantee you, every single person in the organization is looking to win the division next Sunday. They are looking to beat Dallas. They are hoping that Philly beats. Washington, who I even know who the hell their quarterback is going to be on Sunday. Uh, but the goal is to win the division. Well, is the Kyle Allen is... healthy? I, I don't think so. I, I don't even know who's – who knows? So, you know, if you say I'd rather lose this week because I would like to get the best pick possible, again, you – you're, you are living in a fantasy of just 
you know, the grass will always be greener and you will guarantee getting that pick and that pick will automatically pan out to what you want it to be and blah, 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 blah. If they lose or if, um, you know, Washington beats Philly and we're out of it and that game is meaningless against Dallas, then yeah, <laughs> that's different. But right now we are in line to win the division. Winning the division means a lot. It gives you an extra week of practice with your team. It creates a winning culture. It's something they can't take away that you've, you know, your goal for the season is win your division. So, you know, a lot of things have happened. We saw some atrocious football this weekend. Um, I was able to watch a little bit of the uh, that Washington game, and I almost got sick watching it. It's just, it's just garbage. This has been a very, it's been a bad year for the NFL, and a lot of it's because of, you know, COVID and everything. But there's a lot of a lot of bad quarterbacks are playing, and it's just gross. But you know what? It's week 17, and we are in line to win a division. Our goal is to win a division. We'll worry about everything else after the fact. We're not, we're not setting – we're not the Jets. We're not setting the, the, the franchise back a decade because we're not getting the number one pick. We, we, we will you know, probably drop a couple spots in, in, the, in the draft, but so be it. It's not going to materially impact – you know, this franchise going forward that much. I left you speechless. I, yeah, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, if, you, if you guys would rather, it would rather see a, a high draft pick than um, go to the playoffs, whether you think they're going to win anything in the playoffs or not, what that tells me is that you guys really would rather see a team go 16 and 0 than play close games you know and it, it, but but not rather but to you there's no option you either go 16 and 0 or you're the worst team ever can't lose not allowed to lose well it's like it's like guys in college like who follow college teams they care more about recruiting than what actually happens on Saturdays they'd rather win they'd rather come in first in recruiting or as long as you know, Florida beats out Florida State for the, the 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 recruiting race in the state. They follow that shit more, and I know this for a fact that a lot of them are out there. They care more about the the, the recruiting ranking than the the, the AP ranking each week. It's, it's it's a weird thing where worrying about that ancillary stuff where the the game is won and lost on the field, not in a recruit's living room. And you know, football is won on the field. The, you win the Super Bowl by playing, not by what happens on draft night or watching the combine or, or nonsense like that. I mean, you, your GM handles what, you know, what draft pick they get and they get the best pick that fits their team. They're not trying to go for who's the highest rated recruit, the highest rated prospect. It's the guy who best fits their team. And a lot of people didn't like the Daniel Jones pick, you know, you know, something Dave Gellman thought. A lot of people wanted Dwayne Haskins. Right. Or they wanted a, you know, they wanted last year they wanted an edge rusher, and so they wanted an offensive tackle. You know, he thought that the guy that best fits what they need right now, that's what they're, you know, the best player, the best guy that fits what they want. That's what we got. So don't, again, you, you have no idea what's going to happen, you know, between now and in uh, in April. You know, Gettleman could re- retire. Gettleman can get fired. You know. Who knows what can, you know, a million things can happen to then, but all I think you can control now is what happens on the field, and winning is the objective, and that's what we're going to try to do. 
That's what you should be rooting for. Um, speaking of winning, um, most of the year this team has won based off of Patrick Graham's incredible defensive play calling, um, what he's been able to get out of players that probably shouldn't be starting on other teams. You know, also some injuries came in there. You know, we we talked about Kyler Fackrell was this great free agent signing, and then he gets hurt, and now we're down to, you know, <laughs> Carter Coughlin, a seventh round draft pick. You know. Uh, Cam Brown, late round draft pick as well. You know, so these these kinds of things that he was able to do, and um, it was really he he was saving an offense that was struggling, um, and this was a total flip of the script from a whole other world. Right from the get go, the Giants were not playing what I expected at all. You know, I don't remember if I mentioned it at all in the podcast, but. I don't think I mentioned it on Thursday, but I mentioned it earlier, like a couple weeks ago, about how this final stretch of games, up until the Dallas game, played into Patrick Graham's strengths of disguising coverage and tricking quarterbacks. And it'll it'll work better against young quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and, um, and Lamar Jackson. You know, this was an opportunity for him to really disguise things and throw them off their game and make them hold on to the ball longer than they wanted to and force throws where they weren't there and throw interceptions. And um, for some reason, this game, we didn't do, we played, we just were happy to rush three or four guys on Lamar Jackson and then sit back in a zone. And it picked us apart. I mean, there was no level of pressure. And I don't mean like pressure on the quarterback. There was no like, you know, no no anxiety, no no frustration on the the Ravens' offensive side whatsoever. I mean, Greg Roman was happy to just run the ball against us, and they carved the Giants to pieces an eight time like you wouldn't believe. Um, well, just looking at the numbers, uh, you know, every third down conversion was third and two, third and three, third and two. I mean, it wasn't like you. They had to work to get their first downs. Like heavy, heavy lifting was done on first and second down. Yeah, everything the Giants were trying to do on offense all year was to, you know, just make things very manageable for Daniel Jones. Give him second and short so he can take a couple shots downfield. But for the most part, keep everything nice and short. You know, get four or five yards every couple. Uh, just running the ball, eat the clock so he the, the least amount of time on the field as possible for a, a team that's growing and score points. This is it. Actually, you know happening and as a as an aside Greg Roman is one of my favorite offensive coordinators in the league and has been for for many years when he's in Buffalo San Francisco I think he's brilliant in the way the way he's able to run the ball whatever Um, this week Patrick Graham didn't really get the message until the second half and it was really the last drive before the first half ended to start bringing more and more guys down the line start faking some pressure, some start bringing some pressure. It was only then that there was some stress added. You know, Lamar Jackson's being forced out of the pocket, forcing some throws on the sideline, forcing some incompletions. He's, and they were just so scared of him taking off and running, and I understand it, but you kind of have to play... A, in my opinion, if it's me, and this, this is going to sound retroactive like I'm saying this after the game, but I just assumed that we were going to keep doing what we were doing all year, which is why it wasn't a big talking point for me. Um, but if it's me, I would rather force Lamar Jackson to, to make some ESPN highlight play to beat me than sit back and let and carve a bus like cake. You know, I, I, 
we don't have the pass rushers on the line to rush four guys and get home. We just don't. And we've known that all year, and suddenly we fucking forgot or something. But it wasn't until we started bringing pressure, faking pressure, you know, disguising some coverages that Lamar Jackson was finally thrown off his game. So why do you think that's the case? I I think it was just fear of what he can do and what they – you know, he's – I'm not going to for a moment to pretend that I'm in the same – math class as Patrick Graham okay so I'm not saying I'm smarter I, I to me it didn't make any sense but I assume that he was just afraid of what Jackson can do with his legs and improvise if we bring too much pressure and he sees it he can just take off and we're fucked because this team does not match up well against speed yeah, you know, so the, in the last month we have faced you know Russell Wilson we faced Kyler Murray we've, we've faced similar quarterbacks they're different similar... they're different though very close skill sets. I mean, guys that can really burn you with their legs, maybe in different ways they can do it. I mean, yeah. Kyler Murray certainly has the same amount of speed that Lamar Jackson. Uh, you know, Russell Wilson so, may I have don't the think, same. I don't think they run the same way. I think Kyler Murray is very twitchy and he'll evade tacklers. Lamar Jackson will just outrun them. I mean, he will just straight up, he'll rip off a 50, 60 yard run. Uh, I mean, just uncalled, just, you know, unscripted. You know, he my, sees the hole my, and he's gone. I don't think Kyler Murray my, does that. My point being is that, you know, these are guys that if you, you know, you can be burnt very badly by them with their legs more so than, you know, just by the pass. And so it's not like going from all of a sudden facing, you know, a a statue back there to all of a sudden a guy like this. So and he, he, you know, we didn't necessarily against these other quarterbacks. So why the change this week, do you think? I I think I don't know. I I, I think that they they look at Jackson differently than Murray and. You know, I think this is going to make it sound like I have an agenda against Lamar Jackson, but I don't. I think that Jackson is more likely than Murray or Wilson to take off and run and hurt you than they are. You know, I think Kyler Murray would like to dodge. He likes to throw the ball, and he'll throw it deep and really accurately, and he knows it. You know, he'll run when he's in trouble, and he'll run out of trouble. uh, Or if he sees an opportunity, he'll run. But I think Lamar Jackson is more likely to just take off when, when... when he sees a hole, he's just going to run it. You know, he's back there to throw a pass. He doesn't see his first look, but there's a giant hole for him to run. He's going to run. And not only that, he's going to outrun everybody on the field because he's a straight – I don't want to say he's a straight-line runner, but he has that top-line straight speed. Whereas Kyler Murray is more of like a dancer guy. He's going to evade six or seven tacklers and, and get you 10, 11 yards. Lamar Jackson is just going to outrun everybody and give you 20. And I think they were just worried about being embarrassed by Jackson. Um you know, I, I think we set a we kind of rushed four against Kyler Murray, and we had a spy. And I think that like somebody like Tay Crowder can catch up to Murray, or at least force him out of bounds or something. We don't have any single guy on this defense that can keep up with Lamar Jackson. Not my opinion. No. I think no. I think that's what it was. Not many people do though, too. To no, I, mean, I I agree with you, and I, I think that maybe a, a, a other teams are just able to rush Jackson a little bit better. You know what I mean? You just get a pass rush out of your front four a little bit better. This is also a really good offensive line that Baltimore has. But, um, you know, we just don't have that. We don't have four guys there that can beat their offensive line often enough to run that kind of defense. And I think that the adjustment was made at halftime, and the proof was kind of in the pudding there. I mean, by then, they were already fucking gassed. They were getting ripped apart on running plays for, you know, 30-yard chunks because Logan Ryan tripped over his own feet at one point. You know, stuff like that. But other than those chunk plays, they were no longer carving us up like cake. They were just – they were punting. I don't think they punted until the second half. Right. Um, 
So, you know, I, th- this week, you know, first time this season, but Patrick Graham getting a fart. The, the, the whole defensive game plan was a fucking mess, and by the time the adjustment was made, not that he had much time to adjust to it because they really had three drives and 17 points ate up the whole first half, but by the time the adjustment was made, it was too little too late. I mean, really. The, the defense had been on the field for like 60 fucking minutes already. <laughs> so, um, on the flip side... Jason Garrett came out of nowhere, and I, I don't. I'm sure that there's people out there who hate Jason Garrett and want him gone. And I'm not necessarily one of those people, but I, I've been calling him out lately. So I don't know if it's Judge stepping in to make adjustments, or if it's because Freddie Kitchens did something different last week and it worked. And something I don't really care. I'm not interested in who's responsible. I think Jason Garrett called a really good game. He, re- I mean, we were throwing the ball against the blitz. He had confidence in Daniel Jones to throw deep. We were fi- finally running routes with with guys, two, three guys running vertical, and lo and behold, things were finally fucking working. You know, uh, we converted on on second and third and long multiple times. Um, you know, and, and these vertical route concepts they stretch out the defense, and it also assists that underneath route. You know, all those times we, we, we say, you know, just like throw those five, six-yard routes and they get tackled immediately, it's because everybody's doing that. You know, when you have guys stretching deep and now they're covering into like a zone coverage, they kind of have to sit in between the underneath route and the deep route. It gives them more of a cushion to do something after the catch. And we saw that even on like a, I don't know if it was third and 15 or fourth and 15, a throw to Sterling Shepard. He made a catch. All he had to do was slip one tackle and he did and he converted. You know, and it's because he only had to slip one tackle. When you run these like ten yard routes and everybody just turns around, there's a whole wall of defenders right there. When they're stretched out and they're all over the field, it allows for these players to play, make plays. And Sterling Shepard had a pretty damn good day. Um, but nevertheless, credit where credit is due. I think Jason Garrett mainly called a really good game. On the flip side, he did, this didn't cost them a win or anything like that. But dishonorable mention: the red zone play calling is still whack. We keep we keep doing this dumb thing where we call us great drive of straight ahead play calls. We attack weaknesses. We get in the red zone and then we run some fucking high school play, some double reverse wide receiver pass across the field or some bullshit like that, and it blows up in our faces or a flea flicker or some shit. This week, this week it was a wide receiver screen to the left where Daniel Jones rolled to the right and then threw across his body and. I think it was Shepard that made the catch just got annihilated the moment he caught it five yards behind the line of scrimmage. We started the 19, now it's second and 15 from the 24 or whatever. I don't know why we do these things, um, but I mean, I, I just about put a fist through my computer screen when that when I watched that. I don't know what <laughs> the hell compels you to call such a great drive and then try and pull out the old, the old East Field High playbook. From 1964, <laughs> but whatever. But credit where it's due, Jason Garrett. I'm giving a star for this week. This was a well called game. It's unfortunate the offense didn't have the ball for a long enough time to do much with it. Well, again, I'm going to go a lot more based on numbers and just kind of what I heard over what I saw. But they were pretty awful on third down, and I think a lot of that is because they Early were pretty on. awful. They were pretty awful. Uh, they were off. They were. One of ten on third down, so that sounds pretty equally awful all the way through. Mm, they must and, have been and a lot of, on second down a lot then. 
Well, actually, no, because they were awful on first and second down. I mean, a lot of it was you know third and long, third and long, third and long, third and long. I mean, it's, it's going to make it harder to convert them anyway. But you know, it's just you know they only ran the ball. How many times did they run? They only had twelve rushing attempts. Mm-hmm. They so thrown it. They threw it forty-one times. So. Yeah, to your point, you know, again, they only had fifty-something plays because of how long the defense was on the field in the first half. And the second half, you know, was not quite garbage time, but on the threshold of garbage time. So, you know, maybe you're playing a little more of a lax defense, you know, if you're Baltimore when you're up pretty big and everything. Uh, yeah, it's just the, the play calling part was probably a little better. The executions wasn't there. Yes, that's absolutely true. I mean, even in the first half when, you know, the first drive was, you know, there were the two penalties and now you're on third and 17. Okay, fine. You know, that, that happens. What are you going to do? You're probably not going to convert on third and 17. The next drive, I mean, they, they called the right play. He threw it to Austin Mack. It hit him right in the fucking hands and he dropped it. He was beyond the sticks. Everything, that, that was the right call. That was the right pass. It was just poor execution. And I mean, that wasn't Jones. That wasn't Jason Garrett. And that's so. what's killing this team too. And that's what, back to my but point again, earlier. What before. business does Austin Mack have seen the field? Sorry, Giants fans that love looking at the seventh, you know, deep wide receiver and thinking he's he's something we got to right. investigate and give yeah. him some snaps. But he has no business being on the field. I mean, if he if he right. didn't overtake, you know, the guys ahead of them, if, if we went out and bought Dante Pettis off the street, he doesn't belong on the field. It's just it yeah. is what it is. And by the way, Dante Pettis looked pretty fucking good in his first game dressed as a giant, which I think he yeah. only got because Golden Tate was injured. Right. But that, that's kind of my thing. It's like if you – I'm pretty positive Giant fans are not factoring in things like that when they're making these assessments that you know we've regressed and Gettleman has to go and he's, these kind of things. It's like, well, look who's on the field right now you know, and, and the reasons why these guys are on the field. If you start factoring all that stuff in, it just starts makes a little more sense. You know, we – We've played four playoff teams in the last four weeks, and we have Austin Mack as a receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That should be really pretty much all you need to know. I, I'm looking through the drives here, and, and you're, you're right. They were pretty bad on third down. Um, they, they, they converted on fourth down a number of times, and also— Once. Uh, One or three on, third, on fourth down. Yeah. Here it is. Well, the other one was a, a punting penalty, a roughing the punter. So they kept the drive alive, but these these scoring drives they had they were converting on second down. Mm-hmm. First and ten, second and ten, first and ten, first and ten, first and five, first and three. You know they they were they were converting, they they were moving the ball. So from a pure number standpoint, okay, so they were terrible on third down. Yes, that's true, but they were moving the ball. They were doing they were actually doing very very well on first and second down. They were stalling where they started to fall apart on these drives was the fucking red zone. Um, so. You know the red zone offense has been has not been very good this year. To be fair, this offense in general has been so bad they haven't even been in the red zone often enough to practice shit. I mean, I, I guess I guess that's 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 being fair. Well, and, and, and also again, you you have an inconsistent offensive line, which hurts. Which not only means they're not executing, but it's tough to you know design and and play in you know design play calls when you really can't trust your offensive line to do things. And again, to my point, you don't have guys who make plays when you have a very short window to throw. And like, if you're on the seven yard line and you need a guy to jump up and make a play and snatch a ball out of a defender's hands or do something out of nothing, we don't have guys who do that. So that just makes it more difficult too to even well, call the plays. Thing, for the other things. thing too, is to keep in mind that you're saying this and it's a hundred percent true. 
And um, what you're not saying is necessary is that we get three wide receivers that can do that because we don't need that. The problem right now is that there isn't one wide receiver that demands enough attention. So, you know, Golden Tate one-on-one on this roster right now, if he's got one-on-one coverage, I'm throwing to him. You know why? Because he's really good at making contested catches. And that's just that's not just on this team. That's in general. He's pretty damn good at that. I would say he's in the, the upper side of the league. I mean, it's a long list of wide receivers, but he's in the upper half of that. I mean, he's really good at it. He doesn't need separation to do what he does. Sure, he doesn't get a lot of fucking yak sometimes or whatever. But, I mean, if I need to get five yards and I see him on single coverage, I'm going to probably be looking his way. You know, Darius Slayton... Pretend that he's healthy, okay? Speed-wise, he's probably not going to beat double coverage often. But if you give him one-on-one coverage, I think there's a good chance you can go up top against him. Sterling Shepard, one-on-one coverage against somebody in the slot. Let him do like a quick whip route or something like that. He's probably going to win. The problem is that none of these guys are so good that they demand double coverage. So you can just kind of play zone against them. But if you yeah. have one guy that really, really, truly fucks with the defense and makes them rethink their game plan... Changes the whole coverage some for of everybody. These guys, yeah, someone here is going to be open. You don't need to get four wide receivers that are doing what you what you say we need, which is absolutely correct. You need one. You need one guy that really fucks everything up for a defense, and it opens somebody somewhere else. It's just, at that point, it's up to Daniel Jones to decipher the coverage, see where the weakness is, and deliver a catchable ball which I think he's pretty good at. We didn't get much of a chance yet in 20-something games to see it, but, you know, he, that's not one of his concerns for me coming out of college was the mental part of the game at all. So you're right, but people are acting like this team needs wide receiver talent like at a lottery level. It's not. It's simply not true. Yeah, we have just a... We have a... We just have a bunch of average guys. We've said this on the show many times. We have no number ones. Mm-hmm. We have guys that, you know, it could be number twos with some more consistency, but, you know, not having number one makes your number twos look like number threes because, <laughs> they're, covered, yeah. because they're covered like number ones, and it, that, that hurts. Not for nothing. makes your quarterback look like shit, too. Sure. I mean, it's just the facts. I mean, I I mean you, I'm not – we have never on this show been like Daniel Jones – was a great draft pick. He's perfect. This is what this organization... I mean, we've never been super on board with Daniel Jones. Yeah. But we've just been fair to him, <laughs> I think, yeah. anyway. I mean, I, I, when I saw something on Twitter today, some one of our followers said something like, was talking about Dwayne Haskins. You know, it's like, well, why can't we just cut him? I, I wish we could just cut him also. And it's like, are you that, crazy? That, that is... Washington right now is an embarrassment. I mean, really, a complete embarrassment for the situation with Dwayne Haskins. I mean, that's that's what you have there is a second-year player drafted in the first round being cut from a team. I mean, maybe it's admitting mistakes, but it's admitting a massive mistake. That is not admitting it. That's not signing yeah. Patrick Omame to a you know a, basically a two-year deal and cutting it, just being like, you know what, this guy's not the answer. Sorry, you're gone. That's not the well, same thing at all. Sure. They, they made no effort from their part to make the most of a bad situation. Now, granted, Dwayne Haskins is a very immature person who has proven he has not helped himself one bit to make himself better perception-wise and on the field-wise. But the Redskins – or sorry, Washington football team 
has done nothing to work with him to try to salvage him at all. You know, they jerked with him. You know, it, it started last year where, you know, we didn't have a – obviously didn't have an owner, GM, and head coach on the same page with him. You know, it led to a firing of a head coach and, you know, clearly didn't want him this year. But they threw him in it, 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 whenever and it just it, – they made the situation even worse. And just to remember, they are playing next week to win a division. When was the last time you ever seen a starting quarterback cut – the week before they could clinch a division title. I don't think I've ever seen that happen ever. I grant it's a weird year, weird, weird situation, but the facts are the facts. <laughs> They'd rather go with the backup of a backup of a backup than a guy who 20 months ago was drafted in the first round. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the Washington football team. Didn't Alabama do, do something weird there where that was like the first time we saw Tua? Uh, they, they like benched Hertz. Yes, they benched Hertz. Well, Alabama also fired um, <laughs> the offensive coordinator. What's his name? Uh, Lane Kiffin. The yeah. week of the national championship game. Yeah. Because he was. That's the only thing I can think of that compares. Yeah, yeah. But also, you know, you're talking about you had Tua. You had a, a yeah, an all-world talented <laughs> quarterback. Not not a dude with half a calf muscle. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's insanity. So, yeah, no, we don't want to be in that situation. Um, whatever. Well, there's no, no reason to be it. The, the, we, we started talking about this conversation right now is because, you know, Daniel Jones is – okay, he's I mean, if you not – came away right, from this game thinking that he was the problem, why we didn't win, then you didn't watch football. I don't know what you were watching. Well, the thing about Daniel Jones is, okay, we've established already he's not going to come out of the box like – Joe Burrow. He's not going to come out of the box like Justin Aber. He's not going to come out of the box like some of these, you know, guys that just have it and are on their way to Hall of Fame careers most likely as they go. He's also not coming out of the box looking like Dwayne Haskins, or he's not coming out of the box looking like someone who just looks completely overmatched. He's, you know, he's on a bad team with a rebuilding offensive line, doesn't have any talent really around him to have him shine. Mm-hmm. He's going to take some time to, and quite honestly, the Giants don't need him to be at a Pro Bowl level just yet. Anyway, this team stinks, and even if he's playing a lot better, the team's still going to stink until they get better talent. It's just a fact. So it's okay. Okay, they're fighting for a division right now, and that's just great. But that's because everything's the world's crumbling around us, not because we're at this level now where the expectations are so high and everything. And also, he's making. He's on a nice rookie contract. Why would you cut a guy right now? What are you going to do? Who are you going to replace him with? What are you, you going to bring McCoy, in? Oh, boy, of course. He beat the Seahawks, yeah, well, don't you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, there'll be shitty quarterbacks out there that they'll, you know, who are going to get big contracts and it'll be somebody else's mistake. We're going to bring in Brian Fitzpatrick next year or, or someone like that. I mean, jury's way, 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 way out on him on what's going to happen. We don't know. We're, we're, we're not sold on him yet, but we're also not giving up on him by any stretch. Just let it play out and see what happens. Absolutely. Um, that's pretty much going to do it for, for this episode. Um, disappointing. Uh, <laughs> disappointing because it actually started to get somewhat interesting in the second half. By then, I, it was so emotionally drained. Um, but nevertheless, everything else in the NFC East fell perfectly for the Giants to actually have a shot at the playoffs. 
Next week, it all comes down to week 17, like I thought it would, but not quite like this. Um, <laughs> hey, what's what's past his prologue? I mean, it, it all comes down to it's next week. And if Washington loses and we win, we're in the playoffs. Yeah, it's actually – this is a very simple formula because it's not for a wild card spot. It's for the division. I mean, it's really just right. that. So It's for it's to play probably Tampa, Tampa Bay, yeah. which would be pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, but you know something? It's it's just little things. It's it's establishing the culture of winning. It's getting an extra week of practice. It's all of these little things that you know, Daniel Jones to play in the spotlight of a playoff game is will do huge things. You know, for him just for confidence and everything. You, you, you know, he's a division winner if he if he wins. That's that's a pretty big thing. It's true. It's a it's a big thing for Joe Jones as well. His first year sure. here, he gets to hang a fucking banner. I don't care if you go six and ten. It's, yeah. it's you earned that right. I mean, six and ten was good enough that year, but um, you know, it is what it is. And quite frankly, six and ten is better than anything we've been in the last couple of years, anyway. Since what, twenty sixteen? Yeah. Have we ever had? No, we haven't had six wins since twenty sixteen. Also, haven't. if if we win a div- if we win, I think our record in division is what four and two. It, yes, it would be four and two. Our losses coming one to Dallas and one to Philly. Yeah, four and two is you know. If you go four and two in your division every year, you're probably at least in second place. Yeah, and you probably are. In, in a normal year, you're probably looking at nine wins or so. Yeah, yeah. Which, <laughs> so, which, by the way, is like, wild card hunt. Nine and seven is is a with the with the expanded playoff. Nine and seven probably gets you into the wild card. Exactly. So. You know, whatever. I'm not trying to conflate this team to be more than they are, um, but. The fact is, is that if you think this team is as bad as it was last year or the year before, I, I don't know what to tell you. If you're impatient and think that this team should have been rebuilt faster, okay, fine. We'll buy, but, yeah, we'll buy that but, argument. But, but, but changing things now is not going to accelerate anything. <laughs> well, also, if you think that the rebuild is over and you think this is as good as this team is going to be, if you think this team is going to get worse next year because we've somehow – the window is closed on a second-year quarterback – Two rookie offensive linemen, a first-year center, you know, a a pretty much uh, an all-new secondary, you know, all these different things. If you think that window is closed this year and, and will regress next year, all right, fine, fire Gettleman. But none of those things are true. This is still a team that's on the build and on the climb. And I'm sorry if you don't have the patience. You think it should happen yesterday. And it should be over by yesterday, and we should be competing for the Super Bowl this year. That's on you. That's not on this organization. And the mayors are not concerned about what you think, you know, for the, for their timeline of where this team needs to be. So I can guarantee you, next year, unless he retires because of health or whatever, Gettleman's going to be back. Especially if they win on Sunday. There's no way they're firing him if they win the division. Yeah, that would be pretty hard to. Imagine, but I don't think it's justified anyway. Yeah. I don't think so either. Um, in any case, we will have a preview matchup for you on Friday morning. Um, same damn place, same damn time uh, on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play. Um, subscribe there, and all these things will be ready for you in the morning, Friday morning, to delight your weekend, uh, which is actually New Year's Day. So you guys are probably all going to be nursing a hangover, and you'll get to hear us. <laughs> um, I am still on my big road trip, so there's a 50-50 chance you might have another solo 
Grump Show. Um, Which means we'll you'll get another out. drunk one. Surprise, I bet you couldn't tell I was hammered when I did that. Congratulations, everybody. <laughs> so I, I, I may be on based on where we're, we will be in this great road trip of ours. Um, and if not, you got the grump. Yeah. You, you'll always you'll always be able to trust fall into the waiting arms of uh, drunk grump. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, in between... You know, this is this is it for the season. The season's on the line, and you know what? I don't care. You know, I'm obviously going to be vested in to see who wins Washington or Philly. I want to win this fucking game. I want to beat the fucking Cowboys. I'm pissed that we lost to them. Uh, we shouldn't have lost to them when I was up in fucking Vermont watching that game in a bar. Um, <laughs> I, I was furious that we lost that game. Shouldn't have lost, but... Uh, I want I want this one. I want this to win. You know, it, it's it, it's great if we get in the playoffs because Washington loses. Um, but I I I just want to see this win. So I'm going to be vested in this one. And you know, drunk or not, solo or not, you're going to get a good preview episode for this Cowboys game Friday morning. Um, but in between, you can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grub. You can follow me as always at the Cranky Fan where you get the minutiae detail of this road trip. Find out every Starbucks I am going to between here and New York. Find out exactly where I'm getting gas. Find out everything. And oh, by the way, you might actually get some commentary about the uh, the Cotton Bowl happening on Thursday night where the Florida Gators are playing Oklahoma in the most meaningless game Florida has probably played in the last 30 years, if not ever, in program history but i'm sure i'll have some comments and thoughts about that as sure as getting ready for our de facto playoff game next sunday against dallas so that's following me at the cranky band all right everyone we will see you friday morning go Giants. Go Giants.